Well, thank you, worship team. You know, that song, uh, we hope to the core of who you are, you understand that you are a child of God. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Brad. I'm lead pastor and also one of the teaching pastors here. And I get the honor and privilege of kicking off our Easter series. And I tell you what, I love Easter. I love uh, the celebration of Easter, all the things that goes along with Easter. We get to come in and we get to sing. It's a little bit louder than normal. We get to celebrate this whole thing that started the movement of the church, the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And it is just, man, it's coming. And I hope you kind of just plan on being here. It's going to be amazing. And we get to celebrate. But I want you to understand and know that the three weeks leading up to this, I hate. I really don't want to do anything when it comes to these last, the, the beginning of this, just preparing ourselves for Easter, Good Friday service, I honestly don't want anything to do with it. I just, I just hate it. I love Easter, but I hate everything coming up to it. And the reason why, has anybody ever taken a personality test in here? Personality test people, raise your hands. Oh yeah, it's got lots of people, okay. Uh, if you've ever done the DISC profile, I'm a very high I, okay. Maybe you're aware of the animal thing, you know, with the golden retriever and the lion and things like that. I'm an otter. If you've done the, the, the color test, I'm a yellow. The temperament test, I'm a sanguine. And for all you Enneagram people out there, I'm a seven-wing eight, okay? And so we just don't deal with, with feelings. You know, we don't like that kind of stuff. We want to go to the party. We want to go where the action is, where there's going to be people, and it's going to be a good time. So don't bring us down with all this depressing cross stuff. <laughs> and it's kind of the way we are, you know? I don't like to think about all that kind of stuff. I just want to get to the celebration. I want to jump ahead so that we get to the resurrection, the times we get to rejoice. But we've got to take time and pause and sit here and think about what it really means. And this whole famous last words, we're just going to walk through the famous last words, the words that Jesus gave on the cross that brought us the resurrection. And I know how important it is for us to stop, and myself included, to stop and actually realize what it cost Jesus to redeem us, what it cost for him to, to, to take us and, and put us in a right relationship with God. And so we're just going to spend some time, and we're going to start talking about what he went through emotionally, what he went through physically, and, and, and just take a pause and, and realize, man, it's unbelievable what he actually did, and we're going to embrace that whole thing. And so as I was preparing uh, to teach this today, I actually came across this verse I, I kind of wanted to share with you, and, and it's honestly one of those things that really struck me, and, and, and it, it's hard. It's some hard stuff, and, and I think we just have to realize, I want to set it up a little bit, is that Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and he's asked his disciples, who do you think that I am? We talked a little bit about that in our last series. Who do you think that I am? And Peter answers, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the king. And Jesus says, yes, that's it. And we're going to start our movement. We're going to start our church on that, on the basis of that foundation. And then he actually tells his disciples that I'm about to be killed. And for some reason, they don't really understand. They don't really piece it all together. And he's talking to his disciples at that time, but there's also other people around that's going to start this movement, this church. And as he's talking to him and says, who do you think that I am? He, he then looks at the crowd and he tells this haunting statement. And it just kind of stops us in our tracks if you really think about what he's saying here. I want to start here in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, then he said to the crowd, he's looking at his disciples and everybody else right after all this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. 
the words that he uses here. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must. There is not an option here at all. You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? And I actually wonder if we really understand what following Jesus is really all about. There's this discipleship process that we have. But do we really understand what discipleship is all about? Because I think the American church, the Western church, has, has taken it to the point of, you know, as long as you go to your Bible studies, as long as you put this knowledge in your head, memorize enough verses, that's what discipleship is all about. But discipleship, as Jesus explains it, is something totally different. Discipleship is so much more. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with memorizing Scripture. But what that has to do is do an inside transformation of ourselves so that we live differently. Discipleship is all about us becoming more and more like Jesus and taking those things that we know and that we understand and loving others. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, a life transformation, becoming more like him where where we make a difference in the world, make a difference in the people around us. And as we go back to that piece of Scripture, the starting point is denying ourselves. And these are Jesus' words. That it's about others. It's about taking our hopes and dreams and putting them on the back burner for the sake of others so that we can, again, make a difference in their lives. It's his desires over ours. And discipleship, as Jesus says, is not something we just do occasionally. (laughs) He says that we have to take up our cross, what? Daily. We have to deny ourselves and do it daily and follow him. And, and, and so often we, we get to a point where, where you know, we, we want to attend a Bible study here and there. We want to come to church here and there. And we want to do all these things. You know? And again, they're all good things, but it's not a consistent thing. It's not the center or the core of who we are. It's not Jesus is in everything that, that we do, whether we're at work, whether we're at leisure, no matter where we are, that he is the center of everything that we do. It's a daily decision. It's a daily walk, denying ourselves, putting others first. And then there's this whole part about suffering, and his model was suffering. That he was heading to the cross from the day that he was born. No matter what was happening, he was going to end up exactly there. And when we start denying ourselves, when we start doing those things, especially for the sake of others, we're doing exactly what Jesus asked us to do, is to follow him by putting others' needs in front of ours. And as we take up our cross and we start denying ourselves and looking out for others and and, and doing that on on a daily basis, we become more and more like Jesus. And we become the actual representation of Jesus here on earth and we can impact those around us. And then he goes on, he says there's this paradox that happens. The more that you try to control things, you know, when we give up control of our own lives, when we give up control of our own finances, or we give up control of our own time, and we give them back to him, we gain eternal life. And then the more we try to control everything that's around us, man, we lose it all if we're not careful. And the world is constantly telling us what's important that you should be first, that you should put yourself first, that you should climb the, the, the ladder, that you should be all these things, that it's all about you. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not the kingdom that I ushered in. It's upside down. It's all about someone 
else. And then we get to the, the point of Jesus suffering on this whole cross, the thing that I don't really even like to think about. Maybe you're the same way. Of the cost it actually took for us to be redeemed. And, and I personally don't want any part of that kind of suffering. It's the most horrific death that you can imagine. And I, I think there's a couple parts of the suffering that, that we don't understand. There's just some kind of disconnect there, if you will. And, and I think one of the questions we have is why? And we look around in our world, and we look around at the people around us, and, and we think, well, why, God, is there all this suffering around us? Why is this all this hurt, and why is there all this, 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 these things going on? Why do you answer some prayers and, and not others? Why are things so unfair in our world, in our society, in the culture that we live in? Why do these bad things happen to very good people? And there's that disconnect. Why in the world would God allow this to happen? And we start having this disconnect of who we think God is and how he should operate and what is happening around us as we see with our friends and neighbors. And for some of you, it's so much more personal than that because you're in the midst of it. You're actually battling this, this, this very thing. You, maybe you've lost someone close to you. Maybe there's a marriage or relationship that's just hanging by a thread. Maybe there's a diagnosis and there's a health issue and, and you're wondering, why am I having to go through this? Why am I having to battle what, I, what I'm going through? Your mental health, your anxiety, your depression is just kicking your butt. And you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get through this? Am I always going to feel this way? Or maybe you're looking at your life and you think, you know what? I thought I'd be farther ahead than this. I thought my life would have more purpose. You're in a dead-end job or things just aren't going at work like, like you think you are. That you should be, and you look back and you say, what's it, what's it all about? And you're just struggling, and you're in a tough place. A few weeks ago, I, I actually asked, I mean, if, if you're in one of those places where you see a mountain in front of you, you don't know, you don't know how it's going to get moved or how you're going to get through it, you're just in a tough spot, there's things that are just weighing you down, would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? And there were hands all over the place. So there are so many in our midst that are struggling, that are, are dealing with these exact same things. And some Christians would love to give you an answer. And maybe you have people that have, have stepped in as you're going through something and they've given you the, these Christian answers, if you will, that maybe it's your fault. There's some kind of sin in your life. That if you just had a little bit more faith, that it would be okay. Or maybe that Satan is just attacking you and that's it's just his plan. But he's out to, to get you. Or maybe this is just God's will and you've just got to suck it up and do it. And maybe all those things are partly true. But you're not looking for answers. You're looking for some empathy. So somebody to lock arms with you and say, let's do this together. I will help you. I don't know why you're going through it, and I know that it sucks, but we're going to get through it together, and we're going to do it together. It's us saying, I see you. You just need someone to love you, to, to, to comfort you, to speak truth to you when it needs to be spoken in a graceful and a loving way. Come alongside in these times that you're just struggling with. And many of you may be sitting here today feeling like God has abandoned you, that you're wondering where he is in all this. And if there's anything positive about today, it's that we're going about to see that Jesus has been there, that he can empathize with you, he can lock arms with you because he has felt the very same thing and wondering whether God has actually abandoned him. And we know that Jesus is the kind of person who, who comes alongside people. 
we know that his best friend Lazarus, we hear the story, his best friend Lazarus is very sick and he gets word that he's about to die and Jesus takes his sweet time and Lazarus actually dies. And, and he gets to the place where there's all kinds of mourners and Mary and Martha, uh, Lazarus' sisters are there. Very good friends of Jesus. And understand that Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the death, dead. But he enters into that moment as he sees Mary and Martha and all these mourners weeping and crying and so sad. We get the shortest verse in all of Scripture. It says that Jesus wept. That he enters into the emotion of that moment, knowing full well what he's about to do, but he, he sees them in that moment. And then we have a story of a woman who was bleeding and, and, and for so many years, and, and she knows if I could just touch the cloak of Jesus that I'll be healed. And she, she sneaks through the crowd that Jesus doesn't even know it and comes up to him and touches his, his, his cloak, and she's healed, and Jesus knows that something's happened. And I love this piece of Scripture as he, as he, he stops everything that he's doing, and he stops, and he wants to see her. He, it says that he looks her in the eyes, that he sees her, and he wants her to know that I see you, and I know what you've been through, and I empathize with you. And then we get other pictures of Jesus as he goes into a city, and, and he says that these people are like, like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he has compassion on them. Jesus is looking for people who feel like God has abandoned them. He's looking for people so that he can lock arms and embrace and say, I know what it feels like. He is there. And so we come to our famous last word from the day for today, and it's actually written in Mark and Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew's story about it. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, here's what it says. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel. As he let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries were crucified with him, ridiculed him in the same way. The very same people who just a week previous watched Jesus ride in on a donkey and they lay down their coats and they laid down palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. Said, this is the king. This is the one who came to rescue us. He is the Messiah. They were all praising him and now they're mocking him. He's been abandoned by the religious leaders. He's been abandoned by the very same people that praised him. And the story goes on in verse 45. <clears throat> At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And if you are here today and you feel like you are on the outside, that God has abandoned you, Jesus knows exactly how you feel because he's experienced it. And the amazing thing about this verse is Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 22. And the psalmist lays this whole thing out. And what Jesus is doing is actually brilliant. Because in that day, what the rabbis would do is they wanted to make a point and they wanted someone to understand the, the, 
the whole psalm, they would just read the very first line of it, and they would say, what I'm talking about encompasses this whole thing. So Jesus is actually talking to the people right now because everybody there, almost everybody there would have understood and probably had Psalm 22 memorized. So they would have known exactly what Jesus is actually referencing right now. So Jesus is leading them back to Psalm 22 and saying, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what is going on in my life. And what he's actually doing is taking everybody who's mocking him and letting them know what is actually going on here. He's saying, I want you to reference this because what you think is happening, what you think is going on, that God has abandoned me, is actually not the case. So let's go to Psalm 22, and I'm going to ask the worship team to to come, come on up. And we're going to take communion together here in just a minute. But Psalm 22, verse 22. He says, I will proclaim you, I'm sorry, 22 verse 1. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And for some of you, that is all too familiar. Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. He's told them, this is what the psalmist has written. This is what I'm experiencing at this stage, but it doesn't stop there. There's the rest of the psalm, and he goes on, and, and, and the psalmist starts talking about how holy God is. And yet the, I, I feel like I'm scorned. He continues to cry out to God at this time. But listen to how this Psalm 22 ends. It says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. Verse 24. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. Jesus is saying at this point in time, I feel like God has abandoned me. But he hasn't. There's a purpose behind all this suffering. There's a purpose behind all the hurt. There's a purpose behind all the anguish and everything that I'm going through. That God is still God. He is still on the throne. He knows exactly what he's doing no matter what. And I think that's for us today, for those of you who are just struggling and don't know how to get by and through what you are facing right now, that you feel abandoned by God. Jesus knows the feeling. And yet he says, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy of you. He has not turned his back on them, on you. But he has listened to their cries. He's listened to your cries for help. Here's what I know. Is that God is for you. And that God is good that he has not abandoned you. And what I'm asking you to do is just to lean in, to stay the course, to lock arms with those around you who can get you through this time, who understand and say, I see you, and I see what you're going through, and I want to help you through it. I'm not going to give you the cheesy answers, but I'm going to work through these hard times with you. That's what the church is all about. That's what community is all about. That's what we are all about. We see you. And we want you to know that you are a child of God. 
and that he has not abandoned you. I want to leave you with a verse before we take communion here. And Moses is dying, and Moses has been leading the Israelites into the promised land, and God has been with them, done all kinds of miracles. And they come and go, and sometimes they're, they're with God in step 100%. Other times you wonder, what are they even thinking? But God is now leading them into the promised land, and Moses is going to go. Moses is about to die, and there's new leadership coming. And, and, and Joshua is going to take them in, and, and he's a brand-new leader. He's got to be scared to death, and he knows that there's battles ahead. That's not going to be easy. But listen to what Deuteronomy 31, 8 says as they're getting ready to enter. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you, and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. And that is the same truth and same promise that we have today. No matter what's going on in your life, God will not fail you. He will not abandon you. So as we come up and get the juice and get the bread today, here's what I'd love for you to do. If you are in one of those places where it's just been tough and it's been hard, I would ask that you just come up and you just lay it down at the foot of Jesus because he knows. He sees you and he's experienced it. And would you trust him with what you're going through? Maybe for some of you, you're just in, kind of in this sweet spot and things are going great. But we know there's others around us that are not. And would you, as you come and get the elements, would you just be praying for those that we can lock arms with, that we can come alongside, that we can say that I see you and I know. And we're going to do this in remembrance of a Jesus who experiences everything that we've ever gone through. So... As the music plays, just come and get the elements and hold on to them, and we'll take communion together in just a few moments.
Jesus instituted this thing we do called communion, that we would sit back and we would remember. And the things we remember are the price that he had to pay for each and every one of us to take our sins, everything that we've done wrong, anything we'll ever do wrong, and he paid the penalty for them instead of us. Can you even imagine that kind of love? It's time for us to remember the suffering that he went through, the extent of the pain that he would endure for each and every one of us. Remembering that he felt abandoned by people, by his closest friends, by his heavenly father. And yet he did it anyway. It was his destiny, and he would do it again and again, whether you were just the only one. It's that kind of love. And it's the kind of sacrifice, and it's the kind of love that he wants us to have for others. What are we willing to do to lay down for ourselves for the sake of others? It's the example that he set. So we remember today what this whole season is all about. Leading up to the celebration, and I can't wait to celebrate, but we can never lose sight of Jesus and his suffering and what he was willing to go through for me and for you. So Paul in 1 Corinthians writes this way about communion. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Would you pray with me? Father God, we don't understand that kind of love, but we are so grateful for it. Father, for those who are here are struggling, who are going through something that they don't know how they are going to get through it, and for those who may feel like you have abandoned them, God, I pray that you would give them a sense of your presence. That they would see you in a real way. That they would know that you have not abandoned them. And I pray that you would set somebody right next to them to lock arms with them. To walk through whatever difficulty they are walking through. Father God, as we prepare for this season, for the next few weeks before we finally get to celebrate. I pray that we would just have a sense of the price you were willing to pay for our eternity to make us right with you. So God, we are so thankful, we are so grateful. I pray that these next few weeks will change us from the inside out, that we will be transformed and that we will see you and love like never before that we'll become the people that you have envisioned, that we'll become the people that you want us to become, and that it will lead others to know you. 
We give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory, and we ask it all in the matchless, amazing name of this Jesus.